You're listening to the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. We sit down with some of the most highly regarded experts in the field of rehab, from physical therapists, athletic trainers, and much more. We dive into what makes them tick and hear about the lessons they have learned along their journey. Come listen to what these experts have to say. And welcome into the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts Podcast. Today we have a very special guest. Today we have Jacob Loverman from Indiana University. Jacob, welcome in. Hey, Chase. Thanks for having me on. I appreciate the opportunity. All right, Jacob. Why don't you give people a little bit of background and an introduction to who you are as a person? So I'm originally from small town Iowa, uh, Ocheden, Iowa. There's about 400 people when everybody's home. Uh, I attended a junior college in Southwest Minnesota called Minnesota West, where I did two years of playing baseball and one year of golf. Um, that kind of got me started on the sports medicine track. Uh, one of the classes I took there was with the athletic trainer there, Joel Kreckelberg, who was an ex NFL guy. And so that kind of got me interested in that. Uh, I ended up transferring to Iowa State University, where I pursued my athletic training certification. Uh, I spent a summer with the Indianapolis Colts there, uh, seeing their staff and how they functioned. I knew I wanted to, I guess, be better. Uh, that was when I really decided I wanted to continue on and pursue PT school. So um, their director of sports medicine there is Aaron Burrell, and he was just the smartest man in the room, just somebody I was really impressed by. And, you know, I wanted to see what could I do to kind of go along that route. So I ended up going to PT school at Washington University in St. Louis, um, kind of a mouthful, but it was good to me. Uh, while I was in PT school, I spent a summer with the Seahawks, and so kind of kept my foot in the football door a little bit. And then after graduation, I spent a year-long seasonal position with the Indianapolis Colts before moving to Bloomington and taking the director of rehab role with Indiana University for the football team. Gotcha. And so you obviously had a couple of like different football stops along your AT and PT journey. Uh, was football kind of like the always the main focus or did you have your mind open to other sports um, going through school or your career? You know, so interestingly, I've never played a down of football in my life. I've never put on football pads. And so I don't have the firsthand experience. And so football has kind of kind of been a role and position I've kind of happened into. Um, as a student in Iowa State, your first year, you're with football for the whole year. And so that was a great, you see car accidents every day, you see a ton, you get to learn a ton. Um, and so my experience kind of was that I was ready to apply for a type of internship that modeled after more football. So I ended up getting an internship with an NFL team, which was awesome. Um, had some more experience there while I was in PT school. Had the smallest gap of six weeks between first and second year, and it happened to work out during NFL training camp time. And so I pursued more NFL experiences. And then when kind of first job situation, I was calling my mentors and people who had advice for those kind of things. And it happened to be the Colts, and they happened to be hiring for positions. So um, I don't know that it was ever the original intention to go this route. Uh, I definitely really enjoy it. I get to see kind of the full spectrum of acute to chronic to car accident to 
you know, kind of crazy injuries all at once. But um, it, it wasn't the plan, but I'm really happy that's the way it ended up. Right. So I want to go, you know, dive a little bit further into your past. Uh, you said that you got involved in sports medicine while you're um, your time at Iowa, Iowa West. But was there any other particular incidents that really got you involved in saying, okay, I think I could do sports physical therapy as a career? You know, for me, it's kind of interesting that I hold the dual credential. So serving as both a physical therapist and athletic trainer, I've kind of got my toes in both worlds. And so when I was at Iowa State and I spent time with the Colts, that was kind of the first time I'd ever been around a physical therapist. So at the collegiate level, some places bring in physical therapists, some places are exclusively athletic training, and that's kind of a, a bigger conversation. But um, it was it was really enlightening to me to kind of see somebody who spent their whole day, who spent their full focus exclusively on the rehab aspect of it. And that's just somewhere that like my interest level really was, and that was kind of my favorite part of my day. And so I kind of took that as, as a sign, as a calling that, you know, how can I make this what I focus on and what I do every day? And that's kind of how I, how I fell into that. Gotcha. Um, and so obviously you've been around a lot of different, you know, sports physical therapists and even athletic trainers in your time. Um, so what to you makes a good sports clinician when working in a larger sports medicine team? Uh, you know, that's a good question for kind of any profession. I think the first place you have to start is you just have to be a good person. Uh, this is at times a really stressful job with really high demands, really high expectations, um, bullets flying kind of, as they say, and these are just people who are hurt. They happen to be able to run a 40 faster than me. They happen to jump a lot higher than me, but you know, for me, it's 18 to 22 year old kids who are away from home a lot of times for the first time and they might never been hurt in their life. And so, just being able to connect with them, just being able to show that you're compassionate to them is probably one of the number one things I can recommend. On top of that, I, I think you have to be really good at your job. I don't think I don't think being a nice guy is good enough. Un unfortunately, that's kind of a reality and that's kind of a truth that there's a lot of expectations and there's a lot of demands that go into this. You need to be able to hold your own clinically, and that's from a decision-making skills, from a hands-on skills, from things like that. And then, especially at this high of a level or this this big of a situation, you just need to to work really well and communicate well that we have roughly 120 guys in our roster at any given time, and there's just a ton of people that are involved in impacting them throughout their day. And we need to make sure we're all on the same page so that they're getting the things they need or they're getting the, the modifications or changes that they need so that somebody doesn't fall through the cracks. Right. And so as you've worked at both the professional and the collegiate levels, um, you said that sometimes those bullets come flying quickly. What are some of those quote unquote bullets that you kind of experience uh, from someone that's never you know worked at either of those levels? Sure. So an interesting thing about kind of this level and these people is that timelines or expected expected injury timelines sometimes go out the window in a good way, in a bad way. Some of these guys are phenomenal healers, phenomenal workers, can work through anything, make you look really good. And then sometimes for no reason they struggle other than, you know, some people are on both ends of the spectrum. And I think especially in season, timeline is always one of the hardest things or hardest expectations that 
you want to present an accurate goal or expectation, but at the end of the day, that's more of the art than the science of this. And so my boss has a great, great phrase that I'm going to steal from him and that um, tough athletes make good trainers. And so that's same for physical therapists that tough kids make me look good. And sometimes soft kids make me look tough. And I hope I'm somewhere in the middle, but um, I think a big part of that is kind of having a trust with your coaching staff of really communicating well up front. This is kind of the expectations. These are the criteria we need to hit in order to see those things. And then just frequently updating that conversation as it goes along. Um, everybody always wants to get better faster, but if there's anything I've kind of learned is that most people who have been around football long enough understand that there's injuries and it's, it's a sport that has, has setbacks and that's just part of it. And so as long as you do your job really well and you're kind of meeting communication and expectations, people do pretty well with that. Right. Absolutely. Um, so you said that like communication up front is one of the most important things in, in your role. Uh, and I think everybody that I've talked to on this uh, podcast that's involved in a larger sports medicine team has said communication is the number one aspect. So as you're both a dual credentialed PT ATC, um, what's one thing that both professions can kind of do to make sure that we're all on the same page to focus on the outcomes and, you know, not step on each other's toes or cross each other's lanes? Yeah. So something we as a staff try to do a really good job of is never have any surprises. And so if a guy is struggling, we need to know about that. If a guy's doing really well, we need to know about that. If something came in that seems a little nagging, but isn't going to be an issue, we need to know about that. As we kind of talked about uh, bad things or injuries and that is very much part of the sport, but surprises are something that, that doesn't go over very well. And so I'm pretty fortunate to be at a large enough university that we have a, a, a large enough staff. You know, the NFL level has a large enough staff that we try to do our best to kind of stay in our lanes and things that we're good at. And so I spend the majority of my time, you know, spending long term rehabs or maybe more complex cases uh, where I may not spend very much time trying to tape an MCL because I could throw enough tape on there that it's not going to move. But somebody else is going to be much better at that skill. And so I think I've been really fortunate to see a ton of really good rehabbing athletic trainers, and I've been able to see a ton of really good rehabbing physical therapists along my way. And in my eyes, they're not really a different person. And so I think it's just really important to have an understanding with your staff or the type of people you're around is just what does each individual do well with? And where can somebody pick up a little slack one way or the other, um, as opposed to what are the letters that come after your name? Right. Um, so as you're, you know, both PT and ATC, your other role is director of rehab. Uh, so every university and every team kind of has a different title for their rehab coordinator or director of rehab. So kind of what goes into your role as director of rehab for the IU football team? Yep. So... My job is exclusively with football, so I don't spend any time with soccer team. I don't spend any time with softball team. I work hand-in-hand hand with the athletic training staff. When we show up at 5 in the morning, the training room opens, I'm there. When we fly on the plane, we head to the game, I'm there, things like that. Uh, my job overall is to be in charge or coordinate pretty much all the rehabs for our team. Um, that has a more meaningful effect when it becomes – longer term rehabs, 
maybe day-to-day stuff. It's not a formal conversation. It's not a, as often written on a piece of paper, but you know, that's kind of something that we're just making sure we're staying in the loop with the rest of our staff, but especially um, surgical plans and things like that. It kind of runs through me first. Um, that can happen at an individual level. You know, I like to kind of be a little greedy and take the ACLs and take our shoulder rehabs and kind of have things that I, I have a lot of fun and experience with. Um, but sometimes that might be something that one of our assistant athletic trainers might be more taking the lead on and we're just doing a good job communicating that these are kind of our expectations. These are the ways we think we're going to establish those goals and that we check in periodically. Are we meeting those expectations? And if not, how can we segue those? And so I'm fortunate to kind of work with a, with a very skilled staff, with a, with a group that, you know, really supports me in that way where sometimes if I establish a plan, I know it's going to be conducted by somebody else. And I have no doubt that I, I even have to be in the room and what I'm hoping to get done is going to get accomplished. But in the grand scheme of things, it's kind of my role to just make sure uh, musculoskeletal injuries have a good plan in place and that, that we're kind of meeting the checkpoints we need to, to get to return to play. Right. And as you've, you know, kind of transitioned from working as like an independent clinician where now you're kind of in charge of overseeing a a large team of a hundred plus people, um, does your treatment like perspective or mindset change at all? Um, kind of now that you're seeing a lot more people than just, you know, you know, 12 to 15 patients a day compared to when you're like in an outpatient orthopedic clinic? Yeah, that's, that's a huge challenge. And it's something that presents itself every year, especially in season, things get a little crazy. You know, there is, there is a lot of trust that needs to be developed with the staff around you that people are going to function well and do their job as well as we expect them to. Uh, I think we're pretty fortunate also to, have guys that have a really good understanding of what exercise mean and what activity means that there's maybe a little less learning curve on some of this stuff that I don't have to quite hold their hand as closely with certain things. I think it's just valuable to use the resources we have. And sometimes that includes you know, our strength and conditioning staff, the position coaches where a guy doesn't have to be fully cleared to return to play in order to still do aspects of training that are going to benefit him. And that doesn't have to always happen with me holding his hand. I think it's really important to understand that while I have title director of rehab, there's so many people and there's so many fingerprints that go into this guy's success, this guy's failures. You know, it's not exclusively, exclusively my place to always direct all of those things from a performance standpoint. You know, I'm going to I'm going to pass that to somebody who they spend their whole day thinking about that. They spend their whole CEU budget trying to think about that. And so I can kind of suggest, hey, these are areas where I think he's deficient or these are things I'm trying to avoid. You know, what do you think or where's your kind of comfort level with that? And I think that that's about the only way to accomplish it at this large of a level. And I think that's that really comes down to surrounding yourself with great people. And it takes a village for these guys. But, you know, I'm fortunate to kind of be in a good situation with that where I really trust everybody around me and so it kind of feels like an extension of your own plan anytime they go with someone else. Right. Um, and so as you've worked both at the uh, collegiate and, and professional levels previously, uh, what are some different challenges that you have faced at each of the, those levels or even compared to when you were working like during your clinical rotations while in PT school? 
Yeah, so it's kind of been interesting that there's a lot of similarities and there's a lot of differences. You know, kind of the similarities is we have a lot of resources. We have a lot of time. We see these people pretty frequently. Um, it's kind of interesting the maturity level from an 18 to 22-year-old versus a 26-year-old guy who's getting paid to be there. Uh, and I don't mean that as a shot to any of our guys. They work really hard. They're doing. They're giving me everything they can, but I also have to remember at the end of the day, they're 20 years old and they don't really care about a straight leg raise. So <laughs> can we kind of find a happy medium where, you know, I, I need to, I need to also help sell to them how valuable and how important this is rather than they've got a paycheck riding on the line. Um, it's interesting how much bigger our roster is at the collegiate level than the NFL level. So the NFL level has roughly 53 guys active roster, 10 practice squad guys, and then maybe a few guys on IR. So they're maybe in the 60, 70 range, and we're in the 120 range the majority of the time. So even just that, you pick up a lot of a lot of the the nagging things or the smaller things, but there's just there's two of them now instead of one of them. There's four ankles instead of two ankles. And so I think just needing to be really organized and really intentional about making sure everyone is accounted for is something that the collegiate level has some, some more challenges with. Uh, so kind of the comparison versus the private sector and, you know, or insurance sector. And in that is that I don't, I don't worry about insurance. I don't, I don't bill relative to insurance. So I give the interventions that I think are best. Um, and I'm pretty fortunate that if I have a plan today and it doesn't go very well, I reset the plan and I either change it for the afternoon or I change it for tomorrow. Somebody who comes in twice a week or three times a week, I don't know what their response is going to be until Wednesday or until Friday. And so while I still think those people will get better over the course of time, and that's awesome. Uh, when I use the term bullets are flying a little bit in football is you need the answer yesterday. And so we can kind of reassess our plan very immediately and make modifications and see them tomorrow. Uh, the only caveat to that will be is when I see the same ACL, you know, 17 days in a row and I still can't believe they're not any further. I just got to remember <laughs> they're on day 17 and it's not visit 17. And so I think a little bit of that comes down to perspective as well. Right. Um, so kind of give us a, a day in the life of what it's like to be you. Um, you can kind of go from like a home game day, a practice day or an away game. You can kind of choose, but kind of tell us like, from when you wake up kind of to when you're wrapping up for the rest of the day, kind of tell us, give us a peek behind the curtains of what it's like to be you. Absolutely. So we are a morning practice team and I don't know how, how much people kind of know about this, but we do have student athletes. I, I know that's a surprise, but they do have to go to class at some point. And so we have kind of designated that the first half of our day is formally sports hours. And then after that, guys have the opportunities to take classes they need to pursue degrees. So we open roughly 6 a.m. You know, I'll probably get here about five most days. Um, that's when our practice prep guys, our injured guys who are week to week are all going to be doing their rehab for an hour and a half or so. You know, guys can just walk in with kind of nicks and stuff that they've picked up here and there that isn't a formal injury that we're still going to try to help get them through. Um, and then our guys will kind of go to meetings and we'll, we'll kind of prepare ourselves for uh, practice setup and going out on the field. I'm, I'm fortunate enough that 
we designate the first half of practice time as kind of like our long-term surgical rehabs. And so those guys don't have to show up at 6 a.m. while all the other chaos is going in. They can come in a little later, say 9 o'clock, and be able to have a little bit more individualized care, have the opportunity to spend some time where they wouldn't maybe otherwise be able to during the initial part of our mornings. Um, a lot of times during the second half of practice, I've got some sort of a run group. And so guys who either surgically are starting to do some return to run progression or week to week athletes who has an MCL or has something where we're trying to progress them to field activity, but we're not fully comfortable with them getting into some practice participation yet. So Roughly the second half of practice, you know, I get I get to run around in the sun and the grass a little bit and get to throw throw footballs at guys in the dirt and kind of kind of pretend I know what I'm doing once in a while. But it's kind of a fun. It's kind of chaotic. It's 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 a great time to kind of stress these guys and put them in situations where you know we can really see how they're going to function without kind of putting them in in true chaos situations. Um, Post-practice, we've probably got another hour or two where guys come in. You know, if we picked up something during practice, we try to put a plan together real quick of what can we do in this next little while to kind of help prep them as best as we can for tomorrow. Or where there's just individual guys who came off. Um, I, I say it all the time that football is just a bunch of repeated car accidents. So we do our best to kind of help guys get ready for the next day. Um, and then kind of in the afternoon or kind of past that period, we're getting close to one, two o'clock. Uh, guys will mostly be at class. They'll kind of sprinkle in here and there. If they have a free time or they're trying to get some extra work, that's kind of when I do most of my paperwork time, write my notes, try to prepare for the rest of the week. Um, for the most part, that's kind of a pretty standard practice day. And then a game day is kind of a little different for me. We, we normally get to the stadium I probably get there three or four hours before kickoff. The team gets there two or three hours before kickoff. Um, certain guys have certain routines they either have or we've put in place to kind of help prep them as effectively as we can before kickoff. Um, if not, it's just kind of guys who walk in trying to pick up wherever they want to try to get a little something extra. Uh, once kickoff kind of happens, um, I'm the next in line guy, which means I'm a certified athletic trainer, but I'm not the, the first line of defense. And so we have a really great staff. And if they, if they're tending to somebody off on the sideline or something occurs where they have to go be with it, that's, that's when it's my role to kind of step up and just be the next guy to help monitor the field or kind of handle situations as they present themselves. Um, if a guy, you know, is unable to participate for a while for any sort of reason, it's something where we think Emmanuel intervention or there's something I can do to help get them going a little bit. That's kind of my role to try to step in and bridge the gap for a guy. Um, it's crazy what these guys play with and it's crazy how sore they walk in on a Monday, but they were still playing in a game on Saturday. So uh, it, it's a pretty cool thing with that um, post game, probably about two hours where they're doing injury check. Uh, making sure we caught everything that occurred from the game, making a plan for the week if we're going to try to get MRIs for anything. And so it's it's busy and it's chaotic, but it's a lot of fun when you're surrounded by good people. Right. Um, and so, 
as you've been working there at IE for a while and you have like a pretty chaotic game day and chaotic, you know, practice times, um, do you have a favorite memory of working any, any of specific events or anything in particular that stands out that kind of is a favorite memory? Uh, not supposed to play favorites with athletes, but I'm sure we all do, or it's pretty obvious in my training room that I have at times. Uh, so during the COVID year, uh, we had no fans in the stands and we opened up against, uh, Penn state. Um, it was pretty cool. Somebody we haven't beaten in quite a while. Uh, and we ended up driving the length of the field, getting a two point conversion to tie the game with pretty much no time left. Uh, we go to overtime they score extra point. We score and we decide to go for two. Uh, and our quarterback ends up rolling out and diving in and scoring the two point conversion by about this far. Uh, Michael Penix is somebody who he was our quarterback. He's somebody that I spent a lot of time with. He had an ACL before I got here. And so I helped him finish out his process. He had another season ending injury the next year that I helped him finish out the process. He's since then had another ACL that I've helped him finish out the process. And so uh, it's pretty cool when your guy has an iconic IU moment that's, you know, printed on the wall now and we got a big poster of it. So that's probably been a personal favorite of mine. Gotcha. Um, and a more technical question. Uh, do you have any ad advice or any sort of suggestions for any continuing education or any other resources for any PT that would like to get into collegiate athletics or football? Um, sure. You know, I think there's a lot of good resources out there. Uh, in the past, I've known people to go to the AOSSM um, football. So it's the Physician Society and the Athletic Trainer Society putting on a, a national football convention. The Andrews Institute puts on a national football convention. And both of those are kind of invaluable if you want football specific stuff. Um, I've taken some stuff with Kevin Wilk that I think is just top notch. I think Dan Lorenz is top notch. I think Scott Morrison is, you know, out of this world. Lenny McCreda and Adam Meekins. I think I think a lot of those are areas you can be really successful. Uh, I think people like the quick fix of dry needling. Um, I think it's a really valuable tool. And you know, we talk about time and tools, and guys kind of like that. I don't know if it's an end all be all, but it, it's nice to kind of have a little something in your bag of tricks. Um, I probably have some special interest in the FRC group with Andreo Spina. Uh, people talk about cars and pails and rails, just trying to build resiliency. But um, I, I think best bang for your buck is just trying to get really good at movement assessment, trying to get really good at, you know, the basics. I, it's funny because we're at a high level and we have a ton of resources, but there's a lot of times where I won't really mess with that kind of stuff. And if I say straight leg raise, I'm tapping on a guy's VMO. Like I, I think it's really important to do these small things really well. And I think, I think some of those guys, your Dan Lorenz, your Kevin Wilkes, your Lenny McCrinas are just excellent at, at setting that foundation. Yeah. I just went to uh, Dan Lorenz's two of his talks over at CSM and he said that he's a boring clinician, but it was, you know, things that work and work well um, and have been proven to work well through research. Um, so last question before we get you out of here, Jacob, um, do you have any advice, general advice for anybody that wants to get into sports BT at any level, whether it's private practice, um, collegiate level, pro level, or even at the high school level? Absolutely. Uh, I think probably something I took a little bit for granted is understanding the role. And so I'm super happy with the role I'm in. I'm very fortunate. Uh, I, I think I'm in a great situation, but 
I don't know if I really grasped it when I was an 18 to 22 year old. And so just everything that goes into it, everybody who has an opinion on everything you do, all the sports science, all the strength and conditioning, all the nutrition. Um, I think I really encourage people to spend time in that environment and as many varieties of environment as you can to really understand and make sure it's something you want to do, because I think it's an incredibly rewarding profession. But if it's not to you, if it's not for you, it's way too much work and it's way too much time to not to not just love it. And so I, I think you can't go wrong by working hard, you know, busting your ass. Don't don't think you're above what a training room is. Um, you talk about CSM, you know, connecting with people. There's a ton of people who want to help you. There's a ton of people who want to support you. And so try to build those relationships as much as you can. And then I guess kind of my last thing is be ready when you get lucky. Um, I was lucky. I was very fortunate. I had built relationships. I had kind of prepared myself. I kept stumbling into football. You know, I kind of talked about that. And then when the football job presented itself, that was, that was a situation I was prepared for. And so I think work really hard and, you know, you'll put yourself in good situations. Perfect. Um, I think that's one of the, you know, besides communication, I think that's the other main point of this podcast is continue to work hard and keep your head down. And, you know, when the opportunity presents itself, be ready to take it. Um, Jacob, thank you so much for coming on to the, um, this podcast. Is there anything that you would like to plug or anything like that? I'm pretty simple, man. I don't have Instagram. I don't Snapchat. I, I don't Twitter. I don't really have the time for that. So uh, I've got the, the email on the IU website. So I'm available if people want it. All right, perfect. I will make sure I link that below. Jacob, thank you so much um, for being the latest guest on the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. All right. Thanks, Chase. Appreciate it. Thank you so much to Jacob Laverman of Indiana University Football for coming on to the latest episode of the Sports Rehab Experts podcast. If you like today's guest and want to hear more episodes from great future guests, please like and subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you're listening.